So my name is John Brayman. I'm uh, happy to be here at the American Orthopedic Association 135th annual meeting, and I had the opportunity to talk with Mac Everts. Mac, one of the things that's been fun about my um, opportunity to get to know you over the last 10 to 15 years has been um, hearing stories, first of all, but also you know, just sort of seeing the impact that you've had on those around you. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, you were a person who saw the value in diversity before there was even a movement to diversify our profession. And I'm curious about two things, and I'm hoping you can share with me about them. One was why you thought it was so important, and two, how you went about it, particularly at a time when there might not have been the um, tide around you pushing things, hopefully, in that direction. Well, I grew up in a matriarchal family. And my mother ran the show. And we were in a small town in western New York. And it was a large central school system. And she was a, uh, she was a, a, a gym teacher. On the other hand, she became athletic director of that big school in the 40s. And she installed lights on the football field because my father couldn't come to the day games. So that was, that's where I had my bringing, upbringing in regards to diversity. I just thought that was appropriate. And so as time went on, I always thought that it was very important to have women in leadership roles. So we started at the Cleveland Clinic, and it was very controversial to have a woman come in the orthopedic residency program. That was not particularly uh, accepted at that point in time. Well, then there was an organization that was the, what, the Association of Academic Chairs, something like that, and I happened to be given a talk and I wrote a paper, it got written up, my, my comments. And I had a paragraph in there about the importance of women in orthopedic surgery. I got more hate mail from that particular article than anything else I've ever written. It was unbelievable. People wrote, distinguished, pillars of orthopedic surgery said, what are you doing? This is terrible, it's gonna ruin the profession, you can't have this happen. And you know, you've heard all the stories about how women shouldn't go into those things. Well, that just made me more determined. And so that's what we always tried very hard to have women in the orthopedic program. Yeah, it's been, it's been a huge impact and a part of um, our connection, right? So I know you because my partner, Liza Arndt, um, introduced us. And so it's been fun for me to see, you know, one of my vice chairs um, who really credits I think she would be very comfortable with me saying credits a lot of her success with the opportunities that she received um, through hard work and through um, your mentorship. So um, it's been a fun part of my, my uh, connection to you as well. Um, you know, something we were talking about earlier uh, was, you know, having success in multiple places. And I think it's an interesting story um, that you share about, you know, your, your leadership journey from um, a variety of different places, and I, and I w was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about, 
you know, what, what, what you use as a decision-making factor for looking at new opportunities and how you um, were able to thrive in such different and yet all important and prestigious orthopedic uh, and academic places? Well, you know, you start out and you, you don't plan ahead saying, well, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. I, I deserve this, I deserve that. That's not true. You start out doing the best job you can. And as time goes along, things, if, things you're, if you're doing things correctly, things do work out pretty well most of the time. And then there comes a time where you say, can I make a difference? And if, can I make a, more of a difference in a certain setting? So when that happens, why you may have an opportunity that comes along and saying, this is something that I can do that will make a difference. And when I moved from the Cleveland Clinic where I was chair, as I told you earlier, at a far too young age, uh, back to the University of Rochester, which was my medical school, I was an alumnus, and my residency was there, uh, to take on and form a new department of orthopedics, that seemed like a, a real opportunity to do that and to grow that. And so what I liked about that was I thought it would be a good place to recruit to, so I thought recruitment would be relatively easy. And then, of course, I made the Cleveland Clinic very upset because I stole two people away from me <laughs> <laughs> and took them with me back to Rochester. So, And then, of course, a a after that, uh, the opportunity came along to, uh, to be a CEO and dean of an academic health center. And I thought, well, you know, I sort of participate in a lot of things in, in orthopedics. Maybe this would be something I would have a little bit more impact in a broader sense of the word. Yeah, we we talked a little bit this morning about how um, you know orthopedic surgeons often don't find themselves in leadership positions. I, I call it the the plaster ceiling. You know, it kind of we're so busy in the operating room, we're so passionate about our jobs, both surgical and non-surgical treatment of, of our patients that we often don't carve time out to be in the leadership meetings and, and progressing towards the C-suite. Um, and yet I think we really do have skills that can be perfect for that setting. As we talked about, you know, we make decisions with imperfect information and live with the consequences of those decisions every day in the operating room. You know, what, do you, what, what propelled you to do that and, and what advice would you give to someone who's considering whether or not that's the right career path for them who might be earlier on in their career? Well, I, I agree with you totally that, that orthopedic surgeons and probably surgeons in general, uh, I used to tease my medical colleagues by saying, you know, you think a lot. But we not only think a lot, we do a lot. We think and do. And so I think that gives you an uh, edge up on some people, some in leadership roles. In other words, as you pointed out, uh, you're able to uh, make a decisive decision, stick with it, live with it, live with the failures, live with the successes. So what, what would you think about if you're a younger person 
You know, it's interesting. I've had a, a lot of uh, former residents who've gone on to major roles. They've been departmental chairs. Uh, right now, there have been seven departmental chairs in the United States. They're orthopedic surgeons uh, that were former residents. Now, what did we do that was different? And I think I mentioned the fact that if you'd gone back to their residency, would I say, oh, well, that person's going to be a chair, or that person's going to do this, or that? No, I, you didn't do that. They were, they were just learning how to be a leader. And that was because they practiced well, they lived well. In other words, they were honest, they were empathetic, all the characteristics, they were courageous, they had stamina. These are things that make a good leader, I think. And somehow they had those traits. They're all different. None of, no two of them are the same at all. But that, that you know, leadership is, is a evasive term. Uh, leaders come in all shapes and sizes. And there's some real myths about leadership. One of them is that you have to be charismatic. That's not necessarily true. There's been some very quiet leaders in the world we live in. Uh, I think the main thing about being a leader is that, that uh, you can't be a transactional leader. You can't say, well, you do this and I'll do that for you. Mm. Or you can buy this, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You have to be a transformational person. You have to say, Here's what I believe in. Let's discuss whether this is a worthwhile goal. And then I think if a person buys into that, uh, they, they can become a leader in the same role. I don't know. I'm sort of rambling on, but whatever. Yeah, that's certainly, you, you've been effective at it. You know, and so something there is uh, really resonating because. Well, you know, one of the things is that, that uh, <clears throat> I, as a, as a chair, I took a call. I didn't say, well, you go do that. Call me when you figure out the problem. Whatever. I worked right along with everybody. Mm -hmm. I didn't work, I, I didn't expect them to work any harder than I did. And we all figured that out. I mean, the residents knew that. And they knew that I would cover them with whatever happened, that they were, quote, part of the team. Yeah. And so there was an effective, a very effective uh, environment where you could create a, a team of people that were proud of being where they were, proud of what they were doing, recognize that they were making an impact. And, and I think that uh, grows leadership. And I'm not just saying these seven were exceptional. Uh, I have the residents that, that have had the opportunity of working with, uh, they've all been successful. There's no one that's really failed yeah. or got into trouble or whatever. They've all been successful in their little setting. Yeah, the, uh, the ability to include, right? So we've talked yeah. a lot about the leadership principles right. over the last year and you know, being able to create a space where um, a diversity of folks feel comfortable in your organization is such a critical part of that. Um, you know, 
there are a million organizations that would have loved to have someone like you be involved with them. Um, what has made the AOA a specific um, place for your energies and your enthusiasm? Well, I, I thought way back when, uh, before you were born and uh, many others, uh, it was always an inclusive organization. Although people say it's elitist, well, it was only elitist in that you, you were someone who demonstrated that you're interested in education, you're interested in patient care, you're interested in leadership. And that was an organization that you wanted to belong to. Uh, and I think, of course, uh, the, if you look at the so-called giants in orthopedic surgery back in, back in time, well, they all seem to reside <laughs> in the AOA, which is true, actually. And when you look at the leaders of the past and you look at the founders of the AOA and the ones that subsequently followed them, uh, they, they've all been someone who's been at the forefront of whatever they were doing. And not necessarily just the technical aspects, but of, as of true individuals who are caring, who are honest, who had lots of stamina, mm -hmm. had grit, if you want to use that term. So those are some of the things that attracted me to the, to the AOA. Uh, I felt that it was an organization that truly had the opportunity to move orthopedics forward in certain areas. And I think we have done that at the AOA. We've moved from what was a, a replica, a smaller replica of the academy where there'd be papers and discussion to topics of, of importance to the profession, mm -hmm. not just to orthopedics, but to the profession of medicine. Yeah, and, and, and I think I've been lucky enough this week to be in and out of both the Emerging Leaders Program and the uh, uh, C. McAllister Everts Resident Leadership Forum, and uh, and I would I would say one of the most interesting parts about it um, for me is just listening to the engagement in the room and looking around that room and seeing how different it looks like. Uh, how different the folks in that room look from the folks who would have been in that room when I was a resident. And so I think the AOA has done an outstanding job of creating space for leaders of all um, races and ethnicities and genders to get exposure. And what's fascinating for me is those are selected by their residency program directors. And so that means that there is a diversity of high quality, super achieving residents um, out there. And I look forward to seeing the impact they'll have over time. Yeah, I, I getting, getting back to leadership, um, critical for medicine in the future. You know, there is a respect that you carry with it. You have a responsibility as a physician in a community although times are changing, you still hold a position of respect. And I'm talking about community affairs. And so we always spoke a little bit amongst the residents that your job is not going to be just doing orthopedics. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a 
community member, you should step up and participate in X, Y, and Z in that community. You have to show leadership because people are looking to you to show, to demonstrate that mm -hmm. leadership. And I, I think I'm absolutely encouraged by the caliber of what we see among orthopedic residents today. I think on the whole, it's a tremendous group of people, but then of course I back down a step and, and I'm, I'm amazed and enthralled by the caliber of medical students in today's world. Because what I've seen is we've gone through a pattern of, there was a time when some of the people were going to medical school because they thought they could make a great living, make a lot of money. Well, Wall Street changed that. I'm not so sure now with the bear market we're going to go back into that again, but nonetheless, you know what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And so, but now uh, medical students are, 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 people are coming into medicine for the right reason. They know they're not going to make a fortune, but they know that they'll make a comfortable living. And there's more to life than that. So we have great candidates coming into medical school. Our challenge for orthopedics is to attract these individuals mm -hmm. to become orthopedic surgeons. And then I keep saying that that uh, yeah, I've lived so long that orthopedics has evolved from being, quote, a subspecialty of a department of surgery to a major department within an academic setting, within an academic health center. And I think that's because of the leadership that, that the orthopods show. Yeah. I, um, I think one of the things that we've talked about in the past is that the challenge for us as orthopedic surgeons isn't isn't finding high quality people. It's convincing the absolute best and brightest that this is the right field for them. And I think that if we do that, when you look at the breadth and diversity of the best and brightest in most med school classes, we've we've still got opportunity to get some of the best and brightest to come join us in our field. No question about that. And, and we've had a, a real run on the best and brightest coming into orthopedics. Yeah. I mean, you go back and you'll look at those institutions that have AOA organizations within that. We're attracting those students into orthopedics. Now, as you know, as we've talked, our challenge is to have more women come into orthopedics. And we have to work on that. I think that's something that we can continue to work on. Uh, there's a Ruth Johnson Society. Uh, Ruth Jackson. Or Ruth Jackson, I'm sorry. Ruth Jackson Society. And, and uh, they have some of the same leadership goals we have. And I think that the partnerships that exist by having faculty who are active in Ruth Jackson, who are active in the Gladden Society, and who are engaged in trying to um, diversify our field has really been something that is, um, that is, that is uh, synergistic with the goals and the energies of the AOA. Absolutely. And what's happening nationally is that there are a few orthopedic surgeons or there are a few women who are deans of medical school now. There are a few orthopedic uh, chairs that are women. We need more of that. And I think the challenge is there, but, but uh, back to the leadership question, I think it's important that we 
infuse our orthopedic trainees with the fact that they need to become leaders, mm. that there's an important role for them to play. And of course, there's no better organization to do that than the AOA. Exactly right. And maybe one last question to Mac. We've we've had a, a great chance to talk this morning uh, before we got started here, but one of the things that I think is really interesting about the AOA is our ability to generate relationships. I've been fortunate enough to make friends in the when I was a resident leader, when I was an emerging leader, on my traveling fellowship, and and just here at the annual meeting. What do those relationships mean to you, and 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 how do they positively impact uh, your view of your career? Well, you're absolutely right. What what one of the roles that the AOA plays is you're you're offline, you're off conference, you're off symposium discussions you have with individuals like this right here, like whatever. Yes, like this right here. And there were giants when I first went into orthopedics. Walter Blount was one. Bill Wilson was another one. Frank Stinchfield. These are all names from the past. But they'd be at the meeting and you'd sit down. You'd, uh, depending on your background, you'd either have a beer or wine, but I preferred the beer. Um, and you could talk to them and they were treating you as equals. In a sense, you are an equal. And you have wonderful conversations. Uh, there'd be, sometimes there'd be others that were there that you could say, listen, I'm thinking about this sort of position or what do you recommend or what are the pitfalls? And we used to have a little group that met and we had a Sisyphean session. And we'd sit around with eight or 10 people and they would say, here's my problem mm -hmm. that I'm having in my institution. And the other Sisyphians would say, well, here, here's the way you roll that rock up the hill. Mm -hmm. I, I've gone through this. Yeah. Here's, how, here's how I figured that one out or whatever. So that's what you get in this organization. That's what the AOA brings to the table. Yeah. Well, Mac, thank you so much for taking the time. I uh, I could spend hours just sitting next to you, chatting with you, as you know, because I've done it. But um, it's a real pleasure, and um, just wanted to say thank you for taking the time, Mac. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to my motherings. <laughs>